The Ark of God had been captured by the Philistines, but God brought all kinds of trouble on the Philistines because they had the Ark of God. So the time came the Philistines had had enough of this. They wanted nothing more to do with the Ark of God. One of the things, though, that was always amusing to me is the first thing the Philistines tried to do is store the Ark of God in the same place where they stored Dagon, their god, which was, as I understand it, a wooden carving. The next day, Dagon was lying on its face there before the Ark of God. So they set Dagon back up. They went back the next day, and the palms of Dagon's hands had been cut off, and Dagon was once again fallen down before the Ark of God. So the Philistines said, we don't want any more of this because he's interfering with our God, Dagon. They didn't say Dagon has no power. So they wanted to remove the Ark of God. They also wanted to remove the Ark of God because God kept bringing physical plagues upon them. And they got to the point where they didn't want any part of this Ark of God. So they decided to put the Ark of God on a new wagon and put a milk cow in front of it and drive it away from them. And whichever way it went was fine with them. Well, it ended up at the house of a person who was a child of God. And God greatly blessed him. But David wanted to move the Ark of God to the city of David. So this was the intention that David has when he set out to move the Ark of God. And in Second Samuel 6, we read, Again David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him to bring up from thence the Ark of God whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Yuza and Aho, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Aho went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps, and on psalteries, and on trembles, and on coronets, and on cymbals. And when they had come to Nashon's threshing floor, Yuza put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Yuza, and God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. And David was afraid of the Lord 
that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? How am I going to move this? I don't want anything to do with this, was basically what David was saying, and yet he wanted to move the ark of God to the city of David. So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside to the house of Obedidom, the Gittite, and left it there. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obedidom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Odivagam and all his household because of the ark of God was with them. David's going to try a second time to move the ark of God. This time, David is going to take great caution in handling things of God. He's going to return to the instruction that the Levites would move the ark of God. He has seen you can't handle things of God by your own methods. Today, churches set things up all the time by their own methods. And they call their pastors things like vicars. Catholics call them pope and they call them cardinal and archbishop and all kinds of titles. And they set up all kinds of things by their own will inside the church buildings. And they do all kinds of teachings which are opposite to the New Testament scriptures. And church people do all manner of works which they think are good. But Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. This will happen at the day of judgment. They will come thinking they've done good works, only to be told by Jesus, I've never known you. The work you've done wasn't authored by God. Depart from me. A minister in the New Testament church today must be appointed by God by Jesus, from heaven. It's just like Jesus did with Saul, who is Paul. He called him by name and put him into the ministry, and he caused him to be born again instantly. And Saul said to Jesus, Well, what must I do? Let's read that, Acts chapter 9. You can't put yourself into the ministry by your own desire. You can't put yourself into the ministry by going to Bible school or a seminary. You must be called by God. Many years ago, when I lived in Dallas, someone from Dallas Theological Seminary contacted me and invited me to come to the seminary and try to work with their young preacher boys because they said they are so bad at preaching. 
You have a doctorate in education, and maybe you can help them. They were bad at preaching because they weren't called by God. Now, I didn't know that at that time, but I do now. You must be called by God. You cannot just decide, I want to be a preacher. I'll go to such and such seminary. You have to have the call of God on your life. And here's an example of the call of God. Acts chapter 9. And Saul, who was Paul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way of Jesus, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth, and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He is now born again. He's completely changed. He was en route to Damascus to capture the followers of Jesus. Now, on the road to Damascus, he's completely changed, and he is one of the followers of Jesus. That's being born again. And that's how we're born again. And the call of God was on Paul's life to be a minister. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Now notice verse 7, And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And the thing about these men, they weren't called by God to do the work of God. They were not called. When, when Jesus called Paul, he said, Saul, Saul. He called him by name. The others traveled with him, but they were not called by God. It was Saul who was called by God. There's an accounting in Acts 26, which is an expansion on this subject. Paul is talking to King Agrippa in Acts 26. Listen to this description. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of those things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I now send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. 
Whereupon, O King Agrippa, says Paul, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. We have to be called by God. To be a minister, we have to be called by Jesus from heaven. And we are put into the ministry that is appointed for us to do. The ministry that I have been given is apostle prophet. And God trained me to do these ministries, to see how to do them in the New Testament church today. The ministries of Jesus, Ephesians chapter 4, are apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. For the work of the ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ. We have no ministry of music that's added by humans. There are no popes, no vicars, no archcardinals, no archbishops, none of that. That's added by humans. They will be destroyed when Jesus returns to gather the church. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 8 shows the destruction that will come to the Antichrist church and the ministers and the followers of Antichrist. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 8. When Jesus comes, and then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. For many years I've been against Notre Dame football, and I just wouldn't watch a football game that had Notre Dame in it because I was against them. The Catholic Church is so abominable and has added so many things not in the Bible and has even told their followers, don't read the Bible, you might get mixed up. Certainly I don't support something like that. That's Antichrist. But it's just one of many Antichrists. Many of the Protestant churches have Antichrist preachers too that change the doctrines of the New Testament Bible to get approval of the people. Well, all of these people will be destroyed at the time Jesus returns if they stay in that Antichrist situation. So God said to me concerning this thing of Notre Dame football, it really doesn't matter if they win or lose, for that won't destroy the Catholic Church, but Jesus will when he returns. And God took me to this section of Scripture Second Thessalonians 2, verse 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed at the return of Jesus, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now, many Protestant churches will fit in that also because they've left the doctrines of Christ. They permit divorced women to remarry. They never tell the men the words of Jesus in Matthew 5.32, which is, the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. They don't do that. They hold that doctrine back because it would be unpopular. When I lived in Lubbock, Texas, I attended a museum dinner at Texas Tech University. It was a preceded dinner, so you found your little placard and sat down where you were assigned. As I approached the table where I was to be seated, 
there was a man sitting there who was wearing the largest cross around his neck that I have ever seen. It was wooden, and it must have been six to eight inches long. I thought, oh, no. And they seated me next to this man. He began talking to the people at our table, and he said, oh, we have such a problem at the church. He said, I'm a former pastor at Indiana Street Baptist Church, and we have a terrible problem. Everybody looked up to see what the problem was. And he said, we have built on to the auditorium three times, and we can't seat all the people who are trying to come to church. And I said to him, well, if you would begin speaking what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 32, about half of those people would get up and leave you, and you would no longer have a problem seating the people at your church building. Let's read Matthew 5, 32. Jesus said to the men of the congregation, But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. You start speaking scripture like that, and you're going to have a lot of people that stop coming to your church because they don't like this scripture. And yet this is what Jesus said in the New Testament Bible. So many churches just don't speak that scripture. What about homosexuals and lesbians? There are churches all over who have begun to approve homosexuals and lesbians and they bring their partners and live as married people there inside the church without any form of repentance. What does the Bible say? You start reading this scripture and they will leave you. Romans chapter 1. Let's start at 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. They look at the mountain and they say, worship the mountain, instead of worshiping God who created the mountain. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust, one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient. 
Romans chapter 1. I have never heard anybody at any church read Romans chapter 1 aloud to the congregation. It would offend homosexuals and lesbians. They would leave your church group. When we read a scripture such as this, and the homosexual or lesbian sees that in the sight of God this is a sin, they will be saved. But they withhold the scriptures because they don't want to offend them. Some would be offended. Some will be saved. That's what the Word of God does. So you cannot change the doctrines of the New Testament Bible. That's all we have to go by in the church. You can't call ministers anything other than apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And you can't call them reverend because the Bible says holy and reverend is God's name. And there's not any example in the New Testament Bible where any minister called himself reverend. When Paul identified himself in the epistles, he said he was an apostle by the will of God. He also identified himself as being an apostle and teacher. Peter said that he was an apostle and elder. Now, concerning elder, you had to be the husband of one wife and have children who were obedient, showing that you had your household under control because it says in the Bible that if you can't control your own house, you can't control the church of God. Today they've changed that completely. I even saw the other day where a woman was a bishop. A bishop is the husband of one wife, according to the Bible. And a bishop and elder are the same office, interchangeable in the New Testament Bible. Well, a bishop or an elder cannot be a woman. A bishop or an elder is the husband of one wife, having children, their children, under control of God, demonstrating to the church that their children are under the control of God through them. You don't change the Bible. The Bible is that which we go by. The New Testament Bible is our doctrine for the New Testament church. But many churches cast out these scriptures. At Word of Faith, one of the men who was an elder was a divorced man who wasn't even married. He had one child that he hadn't seen in years. To be an elder or a bishop, according to the Bible, you must be the husband of one wife and have multiple children. That's what Peter was, because he identified himself as an apostle and elder. Paul was not married. He couldn't have been an elder. These are important details that keep the church in order, under the control of God. For all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and shows us what is profitable for our doctrine and how to correct ourselves. So we go by that. Well, David is trying to move the ark, and so the second time, he lets the Levites move it. Now we're going to have success. First Chronicles chapter 15, verse 2. Then David said, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen, 
to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. So by setting up the Levites to move the ark of God, they succeeded. When they let others try to move the ark of God and one of them touched it, God killed him. Do things God's way is what this shows us. If you try to set up sacred things, ministries, churches, when you try to set that up by any method other than what is prescribed in the New Testament Bible, you will bring destruction and penalty upon yourself. And those of you who attend those churches that are set up by the will of man bring destruction and penalty upon yourself. You can't do it. And that's what this section shows us when David tried to move the ark of God. Thank you for allowing me to share this with you today.